0: Hey, everybody, it's Mark Thompson, and this is the Chief Executive Podcast. I'm so thrilled to have the opportunity to work with the top chief executives in the world and the boards who select those chief executives. I can't think of a better candidate than Asha Ketty. She has been driving the 5g initiative this is the idea that we can be operating at extraordinary speeds for data and for voice in telecommunications just imagine here's a woman who's been able to transform the way we think about creating hyperspeed for the digital future that we all share in other words her dream is to bring us all closer together listen to how she's crafted this vision for 5G, and and how she can help us think about what it really means to be an aspiring woman executive headed to a board seat and headed to the chief executive's office. Here's Asha. I'm so delighted to be here with a person I so admire, uh, a mentor, a person who has help the technology industries think about the next wave of innovation. And you'd think the technology industries would be synonymous with innovation, but many of them are really having to go through great transformations themselves, wave after wave of change. And a business leader who knows about this because she's been developing new ways to approach it, both from a standpoint of leadership as well as operations and innovation development is Asha Kitty. And so Asha, thank you so much for joining me, it's such a privilege to be your partner and to work with you almost every week as we've had the opportunity to see you really make change happen at Intel.
1: Thank you, Mark. It's my pleasure and I'm very grateful to be here.
0: I think that one of the things that has been so extraordinary about your adventure, I feel, is that you have this combination of, of empathy for people And the journey they're on as they're taking those courageous steps to internalize the changes and innovation that's necessary. And so you're bridging the excitement around engineering um, and then the kind of intrinsic fears some people have about those changes that are necessary to version yourself at the same time. You're versioning a technology. Could you talk about the experience of leading people through innovation and change and, and thoughts that you've had about that as you've taken that journey yourself as an individual executive?
1: It all boils down to purpose. You know, I'm working on 5G and AI and compute today, which means I'm enabling the things to help build a fully intelligent mobile society. That sounds like a handful, but if you break it down, we are well on our journey there. The phone revolution just happened over the last 10 years and now we'll have a similar revolution to enterprises. And with this purpose in mind, it, breaks it makes it very easy to break it down and then work with the technologists and we all collaborate to achieve this purpose. We have different parts to play, different roles to play. And I think it's like herding very talented cats across the ecosystem and across the teams. And we all get together to make this happen.
0: When you think about herding those amazing, extraordinary, but very individualistic cats, that's what I've heard often about the creative process. How is it that people feel safe to stumble along through that process? Because there's a structure, there's goals set, and then if you think about the scientific method, it requires experimentation, which by definition means it has its share of failures. So could you talk about that? The the sense of collaboration that's required and, and mutual support when you're going through versioning something that doesn't always happen in a straight line.
1: Oh, it never happens in a straight line. I will first say technology is predictable but what human beings do with it is not, right? Even if you look at 4G, the main purpose of the killer app for 4G was video calling, FaceTime anywhere. But if you look at what the companies and the people did with it, it was like the end of taxi unions as we know it and the gig economy, right? Because you were always connected. So the first thing I would say with inventions is even though we are inventing something, They're inventing capabilities that humans will use in ways we didn't even dream about as the people building the technology. Now, when it comes to the teams, we have to go through periods, both um, in the wireless industry, it's very unique because it has to work all the time anywhere and in any country, which means you actually not only have to agree with people within the team that you're working with, but all across the world. And there's a process called standards for that. And that itself is really complicated and fascinating, but there's a lot of discipline. So you go through phases, like a phase where you go through a study and then you develop, you experiment, you verify, you, you know, then create the actual final specs, you still make mistakes, you correct it, and then you release it. So we have to do some variation of all of these. And to your point, When you do these variations right, the different phases have different types of creative energy. The study phase is the most creative, and the one where to create that safe space, you have to allow for brainstorming, not shooting down things too early, allowing the process to run. So I think the study phase is the place where we can do it and the most. And then in the building phase, we've set a baseline, now it's all hands on deck to start looking at these. There's still like pockets of innovation that happen, but it is not as free form as in the study phase. And so that's one way to do it. To talk about safe spaces, a lot of it has to do with listening and hearing. Um, I think Mark, you have said, it's not about how you, what you say. It's about how you make people feel. And I think this concept is so essential, even though the teams that build all of these are mainly PhDs and they're so talented, but the concept of listening and how you make each other feel as we start building towards this is important. The study phases allow us to have goals to march towards so we can then help each other get towards those goals.
0: I love the fact that you're giving structured to the madness and chaos that is endemic to the, the creativity because what you're saying is that there's you're creating in a sense some swim lanes or progress points we're saying in this first lap we're supposed to be running all over the place <laughs> as we're studying what the opportunities are i remember ed catmull at pixar talking about how he actually had a different room because they're doing these highly risky theatrical releases that are using technology and they're using creativity and music often and animation all at the same time, not nearly as complex as what you do with a chip. And yet, certainly like herding cats. And so they needed to provide this kind of container, this context. In this room, we're brainstorming. We won't be hearing any criticism today. We're not gonna be shooting down anybody's idea. We're taking all this in. We're researching, we're gathering evidence. And then they'd have a different context, a different room, literally a physical space that would trigger the conversation of, okay, we now have to curate this overabundance, this, (laughs) this embarrassment of riches that we have so that we can start to say, these based on evidence have more potential than others. And so they would take that through those phases. And I think people forget that is a great way to make it feel safe if there's a context for the meeting that is also giving permission to those different different conversations so we don't get confused. When you think about your journey and, and approaching this as both a business person and an executive who's leading technology, how do you help the scientists bridge to the business or, or think about the context in which they're serving their customers.
1: Um, so when we think about this constrained innovation process, right, market that we're talking about, first, I'd like to say different people may be having different strengths at various stages, right? So some of the more creative ones may mm-hmm. tend to lean towards that. And the trick back to getting it to a commercial product is to have enough overlap so those spaces then look like you have a continuous building project. Mm. The second thing I would say is uh, all of this is good, but since we are actually doing things that help uh, look at what we can do as a company and then as an ecosystem to transform what we have to do, we have to prioritize, right? So this abundance of ideas, we then have to prioritize to what is the most needed, what do, some of the folks like the operators, the at and of the world, the CMCCs of the world, what do they need? What do they need first? And so that then helps set us the staging, if you will, of what is um, happening. Let's take 5G for an example. The most exciting things of 5G actually got standardized way after 5G was released because the most important thing was backwards compatibility on phones before unleashing the new capabilities of enterprises. And to the point of how do you convert it to a business, what you have to work from the get go, like design for manufacturing, they say, it's almost like you have to design for business um, within a company, right? So there's the ecosystem where we create the pie. And then at Intel, we have to figure out how we want to address the pie. So for that, we have to start with the elements of uh, what are the financial models? What are the variables? How do we take this to market? What are the channels we sell? At Intel, our goal in this uh, pie is to help power the network. So we have chosen a very specific goal around democratization and providing the ingredients and the components that help achieve this vision. Because so much of this is around what I call connected compute. And that's how we chose to address this from a business point of view.
0: I see that's interesting because what seems so evident from the way you're describing this and and in your earlier commentary around getting it out to the market and then backward compatible that to me feels like you're creating that minimum viable product that has to not be minimum because you're baked into the machinery and yet you're getting feedback from the customer how are they using this technology how is it improving their business or their their lives could you take a moment to explain to those of us who might consider themselves well-educated but don't have a clue what you're talking about when, when you're talking about what does it mean to me as, a, as, as an individual, as a human, going from 3G to 4G and your vision for 5G that everybody's excited about right now. What, what does that really mean in terms of what it does for me?
1: Let's start at the very beginning. Um, back, maybe some uh, people may not remember, we used to have those phones where they were all landlined and we used to call them circuit-switched which means you literally had a wire and exchanges and everything was covered um, through wires.
0: Then- I still got one of
1: those. (laughs) (laughs) And and then we started cutting the wire with 2G. With 3G, we started getting it more data-driven, right? And so that enabled more and more data consumption, but it was different. Do you remember those days when we used to say there's an app for that? Yes those apps, if you remember were actually like Wikipedia for phone or they you had to go to a Wi-Fi spot or like download all of these or play games like this coil fish that was running around in a pond and we were just so amazed. Now I still have one of those apps 100 push-ups because I'm still trying <laughs> to get to <a> 10 <laughs> right
0: <laughs> and too.
1: so with this data revolution, we started thinking about how can we make it more like in um, what we call IP-based, like Wi-Fi. It's just make everything into data, ones and zeros. So 4G was actually the thing that enabled what we call IP or a data network where everything is, you know, just like how the internet works. So 4G is more like taking the concepts of the internet um, and scaling it. We designed it for more data consumption. And as I explained before, for video calling, Right, but then when it was released, everyone wanted to do so many things because they realized they could be connected everywhere. And the more data we can consume, the more we want. We started doubling how much data a phone user consumes as an example, right? And now we generate so much data, we don't even know how to use it, but that's a different problem. So going to the 4G problem, everyone wanted to know, how can I use it for sensors? How can I use it in companies? How can I use it in enterprises? And it wasn't designed for that. So they started doing a lot of elements like let's remove features, defeature it, right? Which isn't as fun, right? And so you had all these, what we call internet of things. And there were several variants that happened like category one, zero, minus one, and then really small ones. So taking all those learnings, right, is how the foundation of 5G started. Does that make sense? It was started by, and that 4G was not designed for in many ways. So we took several steps back and we said, okay, we're finding time and again, technology is predictable, but how it's used is not. And there's a variety of use cases to create again, what um, is called a fully intelligent mobile society. So with that in mind, We decided to have things be built like Lego blocks, tiny, tiny modules that you can build, and we had three goals. The first goal, as we talked about, was around EMBB. We have to put all these acronyms because we want to make sure that most people cannot follow, right? (laughs) It's job security for the wireless engineers and the AI engineers. (laughs) But the EMBP or the enhanced mobile broadband is a fancy way of saying everything we already know. Feeds, speeds, better videos, faster videos, more of the same, just um, better. And it's also backwards compatible. Then a fundamental new construct was around what we call mission-critical systems or real-time systems, where the latency is one millisecond, which is phenomenal. Even Wi-Fi today, right? you can see you can't exactly sync up. And so when you get into these one millisecond latencies, you can cut a high performance wire, not just a normal wire, because the reliability is 99.999, so five nines. So that is the game changer that is being released, which means you don't have to wire things for robots or anything on a factory floor or consumer. You can do it flexibly with wireless. So that we call um, real-time mission systems. And in addition to that, we're doing things like you can understand where the locations are of things. We're putting support for having an entire network like um, or in an enterprise or a campus. Think Wi-Fi. Oh, a lot more reliability and latency. And um, so that's the second pillar of 5G. The third pillar is more machines everywhere, sensors, long battery life, very low data. So, how do you have smart meters and things like that, and electricity and water use, agriculture? So, so it's, the third one is extreme battery life and extremely low data. So, it's designed for these, but in building blocks.
0: I think I think that's very helpful. I think that's very helpful to give a framing for what the technology means to us and how you go about knowing what it is that we need uh, as a community, as a society, as customers, and then applying that through the filter of telecom because we're inherently social creatures and we need to communicate and and you're enabling that. And uh, as soon as that pipe got big enough to do pictures and then video and data all at once, it's not surprising we would get a hell of a lot hungrier and say more of that, better, faster, no latencies. Uh, We want everything in real time. When when you think about the progress that you've made in your career, rising through a company, what advice would you give to others who follow in your footsteps about what it means to be promoted and, and get that next job or to start to present yourself in a way that makes you ready? Uh, for an organization to recognize uh, your talents and, and what would be some insights or, or challenges that you might even share along the way in, in getting from there to, to here, um, what advice would you have?
1: Uh, Mark, I think I can give advice, but you have always have to hold the mirror, right? So I know what to do and sometimes I stumble on the advice I'm giving.
0: I'm a coach, so I specialize in giving advice that I don't follow until reminded by the the brilliant people who I coach. And and then I drop and do the 50 (laughs) push-ups.
1: So with that in mind, I think a few things. Early on in my career, I realized that I could be dead right very easily. What I mean by that is I have the traffic lights that are green. I want to go through it. There's a car coming the opposite way, breaking all the rules but I have the right of way and it's my ability to go. Problem with being dead right is where would I end up? In a hospital or worse? And nowhere closer to the destination. So the first thing I had to learn was to not be dead right. And it's an art. And the second thing is to bring people together, right? Sometimes if you go and present for someone who's starting early in their career and to a room full of people and they don't adopt it and something similar gets adopted. It may be because people need the time to understand and it takes reputation and it takes um, time to understand and communicate and to make sure that it's a two way communication. And some things that help are maybe meet them offline before you have the big meeting. So one or two of them who are influential to this understand and agree and have their skin in the game. So the second thing I would say is to get people's skin in the game. And it takes time sometimes. So it's about relationships. You know, Mark, you specialize in that, right? So you build the relationships. And so you have more credits than debits for that person. And so you can have these artful conversations and debates. The third thing I would say is take those risks. You know, it, it's. You know, it's funny though, sometimes the older you grow, the harder it becomes to take those risks. And so I've taken more. And so I would encourage people to take those risks not knowing where you land, right? And that is important to take the mantra of I will either succeed at what I want to achieve or I will learn. The fourth thing I would say is help others succeed. Know your audience, focus on their audience, right? Really help other people in their goals. And that makes it much more easy to do the thing of collaboration we talked about and achieve much bigger goals. Let some things go, just give it away. Or like, you know, but it kind of goes with the dead, right? right? And the last but not least, I would say is don't compare. Just don't compare, right? And um, we're all in our own journeys. And we have to look at it from the aperture of what we want to get out of life at any given second. And some of the most inspiring people for me are like in all walks of life, are actually all kinds of things, including like nature and animals and all of it, right? So those would be it in a nutshell.
0: I love that sense of inspiration that you get from people who are living full out in many different fields. And I, I think that's an insight that's so easy to lose, as you say, over the years, particularly as we either become more risk averse because we work so damn hard to get where we are. We don't want to mess it up. Um, That's the that's to me is the individual metaphor for our own leadership journey that companies have organizationally when they also get, you know, Mm -hmm. a little bit risk averse and complacent saying, look, we work so hard to get this. We don't want to mess with the product. Um, but that journey is one where, as you say, you can reach out not only to the people in your field, but even in the ecosystems around you or in other areas of passion to, to gain your insights. Can you remember a time as a young person that you started to discover this set of four or five principles that, um, have been really evolved and, and have been flowing through your veins ever since. I mean, can you remember a time when you decided to be, become a better collaborator because maybe that's, that was the only way forward or there was a challenge at some point that helped you start to gain confidence around this approach to life?
1: Sure, I can give you a few examples. I'd like to start with one when I was really young. I was in fifth grade and they used to ask all the, uh, I had just got back to India from being in Columbus, Ohio. And they used to ask all the kids at that time, you know, when you grow up, are these ask the boys? What do you want to become? And they used to ask the girls, hey, when you grow up, who do you want to marry? And the answer, there was only one correct answer to both those questions. And the answer was a doctor or an engineer. And so I had to think about why is that the only answer? You should, if you gave other answers, you were corrected. And I realized for back then and that society, it was about being middle class or like, you know, being able to have the freedom to have some uh, to live a fulfilling life. Because there were people at back at that time that um, we had many different challenges, right, including extreme poverty and all of that. So with that, I decided, why do I have to marry a doctor or an engineer? I want to become a doctor or an engineer. So that was the start of it, I think. And then as I continue to think about it, I've made every possible mistake. Um, I'll give you a couple of examples that helped me learn. Um, I um, tried to, um, when I, mean, I got promoted first from being a manager of like a team to being a, what we call a second line manager, which is a manager of managers. I still remember the day vividly when the three managers came to my queue and said, we need to have a chat. And they came to me and said, you know, you're not letting go of the work. And I was 25 at that time. And they said, either you change and let us do the work or we quit. So that was a really good moment because I had to change. They didn't quit. And so my 25 year old self, I mean, really, um, so I always think about that a lot because I think that was a learning moment. And we have really close relationships even to this day. But I had to realize that when you, do things you have to figure out who your audience is how you make people feel and all of it a third one that i'll give an example for is before that actually uh, when intel was working on wi-fi and centrino and all it, it was before it was common or we had companies i was worldwide and we were using the same techniques you use for wires for wireless in testing and other things it was me- it was very robotic it was um, repetitive and it wasn't as innovative and, um, the lead for that program, uh, essentially kept telling me, no, you have to do it this way. And we don't have time to experiment and all. And I remember being the validation lead at that point and work, even though, and it was in a research area. So there was still creativity and telling the three engineers I worked with, you know, we can do whatever he wants in the morning and let's use the afternoon for us because what he's asking is so basic. And so, you know, for lack of a better word, risk averse, that we can just get it done. And that led to some of the foundational technologies and the way tests got done back then. So those are some examples of um, it. And last but not least, I think, um, um, last but not least, I remember um, physically separating two men bigger than me who were actually debating so hard I thought they were gonna hit each other. And I did the only thing I could do at that time. I went and inserted myself because I knew they wouldn't hit me, (laughs) right? And so sometimes you just do these creative things and you listen. And when you listen, you realize people have a lot of uh, lens. And that includes me, that you're not even aware of. For example, um, in any country, right? Or in any place, they have a lens of the world that I might not even have thought of. I remember like the North Germans um, educating me about how they feel compared to the South Germans, not on my radar, right? And then it's like, okay, what do you do about it? Well, you listen, but then you get back to the goals. So those are examples where I realize that people have thoughts in their mind that I cannot even imagine. And the only way to do that, or I realize it is, okay, they have these hurdles and then we have to walk through those hurdles. Okay, those thoughts may be there, But what do you do about it because we have these goals and can we put it aside or how can we start building those credits so that the credits are more than the debits
0: you're putting in a sense equity in the bank in those relationships and helping them really see the next step in the process you're kind of loving them through it (laughs) and also maybe (laughs) preventing them from killing each other in the process of, of doing it together you know it's uh, remarkable to, to see you as I've gotten to know the work that you do and, and the way you show up in the world uh, is really inspiring. And one of those dimensions for me is in the story that you just, the set of stories you just described, you're applying all the four principles rather than contradicting them uh, <laughs> that you just offered a moment before you're saying, okay, you can be dead, right. And so what you did is the, you you helped provide that, that, that sense to the boss that he or she was feeling hurt. So in the morning you were presenting the, the structured results that were being asked for, but you were also following your principle number four. I'm gonna take some risks. The only way we get better is to mess around with getting better. And so you did that. It was a what my professor at Stanford called uh, the genius of the and versus the tyranny of the or. That's something that <laughs> Jim, Jim Collins called uh, in uh, called out in his Good to Great book, which is this this sense that, that yes and, these are all principles that may seem paradoxical. So lean in and don't let them be a uh, conundrum.
1: Yeah, and in a way it's about the leader, right? I knew if I didn't listen to it, I couldn't get what I really wanted to do and I thought was beneficial. So that unwavering, persistent sense of purpose help actually helps uh, figure out these different, what we call paradoxical things, right? Because I knew that if we got that done, it would be foundational and help the company help the ecosystem and all. But to get there, if I have to do this, then it just becomes uh, something to, you know, work through. So you kind of reframe everything towards the goal as, okay, I just have to work through this so I can actually get there.
0: I think that it's, it's so brilliant for you to frame it that way because I don't know how often any of us realize the, the water we're swimming in. Um, we're in the tank uh, and, and we can't see the water um, that is uh, the way we see the lens of the world and other people are in different ponds uh, or they have many different frames of reference, uh, many different cultures, many different backgrounds. And, and when we talk about diversity, I think that's often what we forget. Is that it is all about embracing and finding some remarkable ways to draw out all those different points of view, so that we can see the problem more fully. I remember asking Maya Angelou, the great poet, uh, about this before she passed. She'd written; she was the poet laureate to the United States, and would, and would just wax eloquently on this topic. And I'd say, you know, how is it that you, when you were very much um, trapped, you were able to, you know, to to escape that and transcend it, and and she was saying what you did, which is it's about being able to see it from all these different perspectives, and then partner with people to harvest that 360 degree view that we would never have uh, with the blinders on that we wear or that we've embraced because of our own culture. Um, that's very natural. So you're a a woman of the world, someone who has to now light this up for the North and the South Germans uh, (laughs) and the kids and geeks from Silicon Valley. Um, Talk a little bit about the herding cats, could you, about um, how those different point of views have been able to add up to an overall narrative that serves customers.
1: Uh, Sounds good. And before I do that, I have to say Maya Angelou, she's one of the people I aspire to become like. And I really enjoyed the book you had which is successful to last because the storytelling really, really, really resonates, at least Mm. for me. People remember Mm. stories. And if you think about humans, we're storytellers and we forget that. Let's go back to herding cats, right? Um, I think it's a similar thing. It's about the storytelling and ideas and what we could be. I know it doesn't sound intuitive, but the way to inspire technologists is with the vision and the goals. I'll give you an example. When I actually took over uh, uh, about 2010, from Intel had exited a technology called WiMAX. It um, it didn't work well. They had spent a lot of money in it, and there were a lot of things and a technology called LTE or what we know as 4G one. And Intel had to like suddenly spin up in the middle of this. And I had inherited the standards team. And the people who had walked in those before me had much bigger shoes than me. And uh, so when I inherited this team, a lot of people had quit or were dejected and all of it. And I had said that within five years, we need to be one of the top players in this ecosystem in the standards body. And the team looked at me like, whatever, right? And there were people who gave me all the reasons too on how long it takes, how difficult it is, how it won't happen, right? And then, and there were a couple of people, right? The early adopters who say, oh no, why? Why should we dismiss it? Like those you have to really cherish. But then interestingly, um, as you paint the vision, right? You And you ask, okay, if you're not achieving to this vision, what alternative vision are you achieving to, right? I mean, we're all marching towards something, whether we're conscious of it or not, right? So if you're not marching towards this, what are we marching to, right? And mm-hmm. the, the ironic part is the guy who was most vocal against it actually helped us deliver this vision. I really? was ahead of schedule.
0: Hmm so you were able to really light up light up the person who was having the greatest credibility for being against it which I, I can see how that might really help the whole team Correct. give more to the idea interesting and then
1: and then having these over communicating and with everybody at the same time so back to the cats right I mean, if I, and if I do, uh, and by the way, even I'm a cat, but somebody has to hurt too, right? In the ecosystem (laughs) or otherwise. Uh, But if I go look at all of this, right? It's about, okay, so we are here to do this and we all have roles to play and all the roles are important. So I think by showing the purpose and the roles to play and having everyone, every cat have a role to play in that purpose, which is much bigger than each of us. And that purpose um, is also very inspiring because then you know that what it can do to help others, right? So the storytelling and the purpose and the legacy, everyone, nobody gets up in the morning and says, I wanna come to work and I wanna do a bad job and I wanna just, you know, uh, just walk through life doing nothing. We all want to leave a legacy and leave this place better than it was and make that difference. So mm. focusing on that, making that difference and how much bigger of a difference we can make together, I think is key.
0: You know, I love the sense of purpose combined with that narrative that allows everybody to feel relevant. Every member of the team has a role uh, and it's the best teams that win the all-stars, not the best all-stars that win the championships. So. It's something that I think you've practiced so brilliantly well in the work that you do, uh, and I think that narrative, that sense of of story towards doing something greater than any of us individually could do, is is quite an inspiration, Asha. And I want to thank you so much for joining us in this conversation today, and I look forward to to learning from you and and partnering with you and 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 helping spread the word of how you so beautifully help people innovate and uh, collaborate at the same time. So thanks, Sasha.
1: Thank you, Mark. I want to add one last thing, um, if I may. Please. Structure. Um, and I learned this actually um, from just listening to Success Built From Last and also other areas. I think structure is important. So the structure mm-hmm. you're in has to be able to go with the mission and the purpose. And if it doesn't, then you have a problem. I just want, as we think about innovation, right? And that structure can be within a company. It can be within an ecosystem setting. It can be within like how you want to influence policy. Thank you, Mark, for having me. And it's been a pleasure. And I really enjoyed this conversation. And again, I'm very grateful to be here.
0: Thanks so much. Take care and we'll see you soon. Thanks for listening to the Chief Executive Podcast. I'm Mark Thompson, and please don't forget to like and subscribe for more episodes every week.